Open your Bible this evening with me to the book of Genesis chapter 20. And it's such a great chapter that we can learn from Genesis 20 here. Because we learn that God's purposes are working even through the frailty of men. And I want you to remember that tonight. God's purposes are working even through the weakness of man. God's purposes are are working even through the mistakes of man. And many of us have been in that place of weakness, of frailty, of mistakes, of struggle, of stumbling, but God's purposes are working in spite of us. Today know that God is working in spite of us, not because of us. God is working in spite of us. And you see that God is working here to Preform his promise in Abraham and Sarah's life in spite of them. I love that because it reminds us who God is. He's faithful. And I, and I pray that every time you go to read the Bible, you open the Bible and you ask God, God, teach me more about who you are. It's not a character study of Abraham. Know that. It's bigger than that. It's the study on the character of God. And no matter what book you're reading in Scripture, that, 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 it, that is so awesome that you get to know who God is. It's not simply a character study of Abraham and Sarah. It's a study on the character of God that He still works in spite of us. This is how faithful He is. This is how merciful He is. This is how, how filled with grace He is. And today we see in chapter 20 and even going into 21 in that first section that we're called to keep a good testimony in the world. As believers today, as a Christian man, as a Christian woman, wherever it is that you are working, as you are there at the home raising your children, wherever you go, that you would guard your testimony. And I pray that you guard it because... Here we learn through Abraham's mistakes that he did not guard his testimony. But not only that, that we would have a guarded testimony before an unbelieving world. That the unbelieving world would look at the church and they would say, the church is different. And they not only talk about Jesus, they also look like Jesus. Their lives are looking more like Christ every single day. In 1 Thessalonians 4.12, Paul told the church of Thessalonica this, that you may walk properly toward those that are outside. That your neighbors will recognize you're a believer. That they would be blessed. Well, I can't believe that we have Christian neighbors. And it's a blessing. <laughs> the, the, the co-workers that you work with would say, well, you know, we're so blessed that we have a Christian co-worker that works here in this place. And they, they make this atmosphere much better with the joy and with the love that they bring in here. In 1 Timothy 3, 7, you know what Paul would tell Timothy? Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside. So Paul telling the Thessalonians that they would behave properly toward those that are outside. Paul telling Timothy that you would have a good testimony to those that are outside. And then Paul telling the church of Colossae in Colossians 4, 5, walk in wisdom toward those that are outside. So what is the exhortation here? What, what should we guard our testimony toward those that are outside, toward the, the unbelieving, to those that don't know Jesus Christ? But specifically here in chapter 20, the lesson is this, to be 
truthful. That's one way to guard your testimony. Be truthful. Walk in integrity. We've titled the message tonight, Say the Truth. Would you say that out loud with me? Say the truth. We want to be truthful. We want to say the truth. And we don't only want to say the truth, we also want to live the truth. We don't want to exaggerate when it comes to how we communicate. We don't want to be deceptive. We don't want to be crafty. We want to say the truth. We want to live the truth. Because here Abraham did what was selfish. He was not demonstrating integrity. He was was walking in fear and not in faith. Well, Abimelech, the king of Gerar, responded in generosity. And what does Abimelech show? An unbeliever shows this, an excellent, honest, truthful character. Now we see the contrast there. And what is the point here is that believers do sin. The Bible teaches us that uh, the truth about people, including the people of God. You know what we learn about when it comes to the truth about people, including the people of God, is that we sin. Is that we have mistakes, is that we're full of weaknesses, is that we're so frail and need Christ. You look at Noah, notice what happened to him in Genesis 9. He got drunk and exposed himself. In Numbers chapter 20, Moses, what did he do? He lost his temper. In 2 Samuel 11, David committed adultery and then he committed murder. In Matthew 26, Peter denied Jesus three times. That's what I love about the Bible, that it says the truth about everyone. The Bible says the truth about us as well. And here we're learning about the integrity. Now, we're reminded of all these people. We're reminded of this in in Genesis chapter 20, not to encourage us to sin or to say, you know, it's okay if we sin. Well, they sinned as well. No, it's a warning that we should beware of sin. Because if they failed and if they disobeyed, then we ourselves need to be careful I pray that you would take heed to that tonight, that you would be careful. And Paul would tell the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, he would say, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. You would say today, well, I'm strong. I'm not going to fall. You're in a very dangerous place now because you're confident in yourself. He says, therefore, he who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. In 1 John 1, 8, the apostle John says this, If we say that we have no sin, you think that you're abased from sin, that you you don't have sin, that you're pure. Notice it says we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We must know that we live in a sin nature. And here we learn from the sin nature of Abraham and from the character of God on him. So we're going to see the compromise of Abraham, the character of Abimelech, and the covenant of God. Notice here in verse 1 of chapter 20, And Abraham journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh, Shur, and stayed at Gerar. Now Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she's my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you're a dead man, because the woman whom you have taken for she is a man's wife. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that tonight you would speak to us. We do pray for those that are affected 
in Turkey with this earthquake, that the people there would turn to the one true living God. Not to idols, not to false gods, but to you, God. That we would turn to you as we discern the signs of the times. And that not only we would say the truth, but that we would live the truth. Give us strong convictions, Lord, so that we would take heed lest we fall. That we would not become overconfident in ourselves. That we would not become arrogant, pompous, cavalier, but that we would humble ourselves and walk in obedience. In Jesus' name, and together we said, amen. Now notice there, verse 20, the compromise of Abraham. Abraham moved south. And notice, really, truly, not only was he moving south, uh, physically, or when it came to geography, but he was moving south spiritually. Because what happened here is that he was not truthful. And he moved there to Gerar, and as soon as he moved, he began to live in fear. As soon as he moved, he began to walk by sight and not by faith. You see here that Abraham was walking by faith, but as soon as he moved, he started walking by sight. Now, we don't know why he moved. He maybe had been acting in his own accord. He maybe thought of this on his own idea, but it's a very dangerous thing to move when God has not said to move yet. You'll end up regretting it. And somehow we think that maybe this move wasn't of God because now he's living in fear. And he's living in fear specifically of man. That, that's very dangerous for us to be in a place where we fear man more than we fear God. In Proverbs 29, 25, we see Solomon speaking of this to us. He says, the fear of man brings a snare. When you fear man, it's a trap. But whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Where's your confidence? Where's your, where's your trust? Where's your fear? And there we find that exhortation, the fear of man brings a snare. But notice what happens there in, in verse 1, that they stayed in Gerar. Now Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she's my sister. What happened here to Abraham? He's been walking with the Lord, but he's lying again as in Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, he learned already the lesson. He went into Egypt, and what did he say? Sarah is my sister. And it teaches us a very important lesson there in beginning in verse 2, how easy it is to slip back into sinful habits. That you've seen the consequences of what took place when you sin, and it's very easy to go back and slip back and say, well, you know what, I'm going to start dabbling in that sin again. We have to be careful that we don't make the same mistake twice. Here Abraham failed where he already had failed once before. And maybe tonight, this is a warning for you, where you're contemplating, you're thinking, you're saying, I'm going to try that again, and God is telling you, do not fail where you've already failed before. Do not go back to what I've already delivered you from, because he makes the same mistake again. Now, notice what's happened since then, since Genesis chapter 12. God has given him a new name. And God gave him a new name, but he still has an old nature, <laughs> And you know what happens even today? Maybe God gave you a new name. He gave you a new identity in him. You are new in Christ Jesus now, but you still have that old nature. 
They want to struggle, the flesh with the spirit that, it, that is stumbling in that area where you stumbled before again. And the Bible speaks of that, Galatians 5.17. What did Paul say to the church of Galatia? Galatians there? He said, for the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These two are contrary to one another so that you don't do the things that you wish. And what is he doing? He's struggling, he's battling, he's stumbling in the area that he once failed before. Now notice what happens here, because instead of trusting in God to keep his family together, he devises his own plan that fails completely. And he's repeating in his old age the sinful patterns of his youth. Think about that. What God has delivered you from, where you have grown out of, you look back now and say, well, maybe I want to contemplate or I'm struggling in that area one more time. And what was the problem here? Deception, a lie. I want you to know something very clearly. A home that is kept together by a lie is in bad shape. A home that's kept together by deceit is in bad shape. And what happened here in verse 2 is that, that he has not fully repented of that. I mean, you think about our lives. Oftentimes, God delivers us, and, and we can cry. You can say you're sorry. You can say you want to begin again. But let me ask you this, but did you repent? Because if you didn't repent, nothing's going to change. We, we learn through God's Word is so clear that he who covers his sin, will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Not only it's about confessing, it's, all about, it's also about forsaking. And here he hasn't forsaken those things. The fear led to deception, and the deception will not produce protection. So he's walking in fear, he lies, and notice what happens. As a result of this, it says, and Abimelech, the king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Now you have to think about what Abraham is, is thinking right now in his life. He just let some king come and take his wife. He, he just was willingly let her, he gave her up as he said, she's my sister. Why? Because he selfishly is trying to protect himself. And here the Bible says that Abraham was a prophet, but a prophet who was acting in the flesh right now. You think about a believer that is acting in the flesh, a man that, of God that is acting in the flesh, a person of God that represents the Lord should live a life that is above reproach, both in private and in public. Our integrity as believers before the world and in front of the church in private should be beyond question, the integrity. But here he compromises when he tells a lie. And notice what happens here in verse 3, because God intervenes. Notice, it says, but God. <laughs> I want you to circle that in your Bible. How many times have you tried to do what you want, but God? You said, it's going to be my own plan. I'm going to force this. I'm going to manipulate the situation, but God. God is so merciful that he will not allow you to get your way. Now, I want you to, I want you to learn that tonight. God is so merciful that he will not allow you to get your way. That his purpose will still continue even through the weaknesses of man. And notice what happens here. But God came to Abimelech, an unbelieving king, in a dream by night. 
He revealed, he spoke to an unbeliever. Notice how God operates. He operates outside of what we think he would do. And in a dream, notice what he tells him. Indeed, you're a dead man. Now, this doesn't sound like a dream. This sounds more like a nightmare. Because now God gives you a revelation. It says, you're a dead man because the woman that you have taken is married. But look at the truth in that verse, in verse 3. Because Abimelech was a dead man. Why? He was an unbelieving king. He was dead in his sin. How many of us remember just with that verse, verse 3, that we were also dead in our sin? But God, we were dead in our sin, but God. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, I want to read it to you. Now, I pray that you would take note of this verse because this is the one of the most important but gods in the Bible. In Ephesians 2, 1, it says, And you he made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins. He gave you spiritual life when you were dead in trespasses and dead in disobedience, dead in sin, dead in rebellion, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. You were living for the world according to the prince of the power of the air, serving the devil, notice, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, the same spirit of Antichrist who works in the world, you were serving that spirit. Amongst who you also once conducted yourselves, you lived for the lust of the flesh, fulfilling or living to gratify the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, by our sin nature, children of wrath, just as others. That is our past. That's the truth about who you were. But in verse 4, it says, it's an amazing contrast because it says here, but God. We were all of that, but God, who is rich in mercy. Do you see here how this but God reveals the mercy of God? The but God here in verse 3 is to reveal God's mercy to Abimelech and to Abraham. That although we sin, although we make mistakes, although we forsake him, although we're unfaithful, but God is still merciful. Because of his great love in which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Do you see the mercy of God here in verse 3? you see the grace of God here in verse 3? The intervention of God that even while we were dead in trespasses and sins, he made us alive. It was the mercy of God that here intervened that but God now was present in this situation. And not only do we realize this, but also look at Abimelech. He was under this divine condemnation already. Because he was not a godly king. He wasn't following the Lord. He brought this condemnation upon himself. Abimelech was already in a worse situation than Abraham because he was lost. Abraham was saved. Abraham was following the Lord, but he was walking in disobedience. Now, there's something that we have to remember here before we move on after verse 3 is that God chastened Abraham, but he condemned Abimelech. One was lost. The other one was disobedient. And when we deliberately disobey God, we suffer not only from the consequences of our sins, but from the hand of God that is correcting us in our lives unless we repent. Unless we submit here. I like what Charles Spurgeon said. He said this so clearly, God does not 
allow his children to sin successfully. You know, you want, you want to sin, you want to make your own plan, you want to have a good time, and then God ruins your plans. God here is ruining Abraham's plans. But God, God is so merciful. He's so loving. Here Abraham is, is wanting to be crafty, deceptive, lying, unfaithful, walking in fear. But God is still faithful. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, it says, Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, he shall also reap. You cannot play games with God. And, and notice here, there's a lack of godly fear here. Notice, there's a lack of godly fear in our lives as well, oftentimes. When we want to be in control, God was in control. And then one moment, we thought, we want to be in control. We want to be loud. We want to be in charge. I want to tell you this, you're not in control. God is in control. And notice, there's nothing that you have concealed that will not be revealed by God. You can try to hide it, but he will expose it. You can try to put it under the rug, but he'll take it out in public so that others can see it as well. We can try to manipulate and scheme a plan, but God will intervene. This is what Abraham is learning, that you cannot stand in the way of God. So notice Abimelech's integrity in verse 4. It says, but Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? You see here, Abimelech's integrity was proven because he was innocent. He had not come near Sarah. He had not slept with her. And he says, will you destroy me as I'm, as I'm innocent? Will you judge me as I'm innocent? And he goes on in verse 5, did he not say to me, she is my sister? And she even, she herself said, he's my brother. Now notice, it wasn't only Abraham that told this lie. It was also Sarah that followed the deception and the hypocrisy of Abraham. You know what God did when they both lied? God exposed them both. You know, it reminds me of Acts chapter 5. The hypocrisy, the sin of Ananias and Sapphira. That they both conspired together, they agreed together to lie to the Holy Spirit. And you know what happens there? That Peter says, how is it that both of you can agree together to lie to the Holy Spirit? They were judged on the spot. You can't lie to God. And what's interesting here, what's really revealing here in verse 5, is that the world here, the unbeliever, has more integrity at times than the believer. That the non-believer has demonstrated more character than the Christian. That's why we have to do things right. And, and I want you to see this in these verses, verses 5 and 6. That we would, as Christians, guard our testimony and do things the right way. That we would not say, you know, we're going to hide this right now. We're going to be deceptive. In fact, we're not going to be like Abraham and say, just say that I'm your brother. Or just say that, 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 that I am not doing it this way. Would you, would you now say it a different way? Or, or in fact, do me a favor. Do things with integrity. Don't tell a lie or a half-truth. It's very embarrassing when the non-believer has more integrity than the Christian. Because the Christian should be doing things before God. 
In fact, think about how here Abraham has a bad testimony in front of Abimelech because he wants to live in that gray area. I pray that today you don't want to live in that gray area of compromise. Well, you could say, well, I can see how people would, would see this as if it's wrong. If it can be the, the perceived as something that's wrong, then don't do it. Don't live in the gray area. Move away from that and say, I want to live a life of integrity because this is exactly what Abimelech demonstrated in verse 5. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Notice, before the Lord, what, is, what can he say? Have a pure heart and have clean hands. This is how we should live our lives. Lord, before you, have a pure heart and have a clean hands. I didn't know. They both lied to me. This is how I've acted. In fact, the New Living Translation would read it this way. I've acted in complete innocence. My hands are clean. And notice, Abimelech did not know. But you know who did know? Abraham knew. Sarah knew. And we have to be very careful that we don't conspire to lie so that we can get our way. Let's lie together. Let's, let's make it look deceptive or let's manipulate a situation. Because notice this. You can lie to man. You can lie to the world. You can cheat, you can deceive, you can even lie to yourself. But you know, you can't lie to God. And here God is demonstrating this. In fact, what does the Bible say about deception or about lies? It says that God hates it. God hates when we lie. I want you to write these verses down because it has to do with deception. In Proverbs 12.25, it says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Remember that. Lying lips are abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his delights. When we, when we deal in deception, when we lie, notice what we're losing. We're losing the power in our testimony to share the gospel of Christ. In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 17, it gives us a list of what God hates. And notice what it says, a proud look, a lying tongue. God hates deceptions. F.B. Meyer, the Bible commentator, would have said this, a lie consists of the motive as much as the actual words. You may have said something, but your motivation was to hide another thing. That's why it's not only about telling the truth, but about being truthful. That your motivation is filled with truth. Because God, as much as he hates lies, notice the reason why he hates lies is because he is a God of truth. He's a God of truth. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, it says, He is the rock. His work is perfect, for all of his ways are justice, a God of truth. God hates lying. And notice, he's a God of truth in his character. What did he say about the Holy Spirit in John 14, verse 17? It says, the spirit of truth. You notice that not only is it a part of the character of the Father, it's also part of the character of the Holy Spirit. He's called the spirit of truth. In James chapter 1, verse 18, it would tell us this, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. His word is truth. The Spirit is the Spirit of truth. God is a God of truth. And truth should be what we build our character on. If you build your character on deception, then you have a weak character. But if you build your character on truth, then you have something that will last the test of time. 
It was Philip Brooks that said this, the purpose of life is building of character through truth. Think about it. The purpose of your life is, is building godly character through truth, not through deception, but through truth. God is not just saving souls. As you look at Scripture, you know what he's doing? He's not just taking people to heaven. As we hear, we're waiting for the Lord through trials, through testings of life. Notice what happens here. He's making saved people more like Jesus and glorifying himself. That's the process of sanctification, that we're speaking the truth, that we're living the truth, that we're becoming more like Jesus. What happens here is that he loses his testimony And with a a compromised testimony now, he has no power to influence even over good men. So notice God's protection here over Abimelech. And it says, and God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you did this in in the integrity of your heart. God knows what's in your heart. And God protected him because he was innocent. God protected him because he didn't know. God protected him because he did walk in integrity. And notice what he says, for I have withheld you from sinning against me. Well, what is, when we sin, who are we sinning against? He, he would have not only sinned against Abraham. You notice, who would he have sinned against? Against God. He said, I withheld you. I stopped you. I didn't let you touch her against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. What do we learn about God here? Not only his mercy, but his sovereignty here. In his God's sovereignty, he's overall, he's protecting everything. Notice, he is in everything. He sees it all. And God is saying here, I did not allow it. Notice how God is in everything. And we have to see God working in all things. Here, Abraham lies, Sarah lies, Abimelech takes his wife to his home, but God is still in control. He does not allow Abimelech to go and have sexual relations with Sarah. God here protected the innocent from sinning even when others dealt in deception. You know, when you walk in integrity, God will protect you. Other people around you might deal craftily. Other people around you might deal in compromise or in deception or in manipulation. But if you walk in integrity, God will protect you. God was protecting him right there. He said, I didn't allow you to do it. Doesn't the Bible tell us that the the king's now heart is in the hand of the Lord? He moves it wherever he wants. Who is truly in control here in verse 6? God was. God's sovereign protection. He did not allow. He withheld Abimelech there. He is in everything, and we must learn to see God in all things so that we don't compromise, or we don't share in other people's sins. You know what's awesome here? That because he walked in integrity, God withheld him from compromising in other people's sins. Paul told Timothy the very same thing. Be careful that you don't just agree with someone else very quickly. Be careful that you don't lay hands on someone so suddenly, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. You see someone compromising, saying, I want nothing to do with that. I'm not going to lie in order to gain the favor and the promises of God or of people. You don't have to lie. If God's doing the work, you don't have to lie about nothing. You keep your integrity. Now, in verse 7, it says, 
Now therefore restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet. He will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know, circle the word know there, that you will surely die, you and all that are yours. Because of what you took from him, now restore, return her now to her husband. And the prophet's going to pray for you and then you will live. But if you don't, now that you know, you will die, you and all your family. But this is important here because what does God hold us accountable to what do we know? He says, now that you know, you will be held accountable. Maybe today you came in, you're saying, well, I, I really think that I, I really want to live in this gray area of compromise, but now that you know, you're going to be held accountable as well. You can't walk away saying tonight, well, I didn't know. Now you know. <laughs> His word tells us very clearly, God's mercy did not leave Abraham, even though Abraham did not trust God here. Notice that. God's mercy did not leave him, even though he didn't trust God. But also in God's mercy, also in God's grace, he holds us accountable only to what we know. He says, now that you know I'm holding you accountable, but notice Abimelech's character now after the compromise of Abraham in verse 8. So Abraham rose early in the morning. I mean, he woke up from that dream, and he said, we need to make some changes. Something here is not right. He wasted no time. Think about that. This is a man that, that doesn't walk with God. He hears from God. He says, he rose when? Early in the morning. He didn't sleep in to God's instructions. Some of us are sleeping in when God is saying to do something. Sleeping in when it comes to obedience. Sleeping in when it comes to urgency. When it comes to holiness, when it comes to sanctification, when it comes to the voice of God. He didn't delay, he didn't procrastinate, he rose early and he quickly called his servants. Notice what happens here. And he told all these things in their hearing and the men were very much afraid. I love this because it says that they had a godly fear. They were very much afraid. They had more fear of God than Abraham had here at this moment. What happened to the godly fear of Christians today? Today we need to have godly fear that we would fear God. They would say we're not going to compromise because we know who God is. And although he's a merciful God, he will also judge. And now what he does is he confronts Abraham in verse 9, and Abimelech called Abraham and he said to him, what have you done to us? How have I offended you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done deeds to me that ought not to be done. Now think about how humiliated Abraham felt here. An unbelieving man is rebuking him as a Christian, as a believer. You know, it's, it's sad when the world has to correct the church. It is sad if, if the unbelieving person has to correct you because you're not behaving like Christ. If they have to hold you accountable to the standard of following Jesus, that should be the example that we naturally display because we're walking with him. And notice what he says, what is it that you have brought against us in verse 9? Now we have to realize this, that our sins will affect other people. And he's telling them this in verse 9, what did I do to deserve this? 
Abraham, what, what do you think that you've done? And in fact, notice what he says, no one should ever do what you'd have done. And we, hear, we see that oftentimes, whether it's in the church, whether it's by a believer, that they blow our tes- we blow our testimony, and know what happens? No one should ever do what you did there. We have to be very careful that we don't mess with people like this. That we have an idea that there are consequences by how we treat people. By doing things that are not done the right way, that we are being underhanded in our doings. We're being crafty, we're being deceptive. Don't you know that that has consequences in other people's lives? Why aren't you thinking? And he's getting rebuked here by the world here, by an unbelieving man. And think about sometimes we say, well, you know what? You don't know who I am. (laughs) Imagine him saying, well, you know what? Hey, listen, I'm Abraham, and it's my wife, Sarah. I mean, you know, we're the ones that have all the promises of God. God's hand is on us. (laughs) I don't care who you are. Do things the right way. You know, there's a right way of doing things. There's a wrong way of doing things. And Abraham here, you can't play dumb. You can't do something wrong and then be naive like you didn't know. You do things right. Notice in verse 10 what he tells him here. And he says here, Then Abimelech said to Abraham, What, do you, what did you have in view that you have done this thing? In fact, now he tells him, What were you thinking? <laughs> First, what you did no one should ever do. And the second one is, what were you thinking? You know what the answer is when you did this? What were you thinking? You weren't thinking. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is telling us that. What were you thinking when you did that? What you did should never have been done. Notice, because what you did hurt other people. Why? Because you were doing things the wrong way. You were acting on your selfish emotions here, Abraham. There was an emotional husband and wife that conspired together, and now an entire family was hurt. Notice how this family was hurt. Because he failed to trust God. You fail to trust God, people around you are going to get hurt. And what you do in private will be shouted from the rooftops. Here they thought that this was only between them two, but notice, it, it was exposed. That's what we should learn today. Don't do bad business. If you're doing business with people in the world that they would know, this is an honest person. Don't do things under the table. Don't rip people off thinking that no one is going to find out. It will come out. Do things in an honest way, in a a way of integrity. Luke chapter 12, verse 13, it would say this, Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have spoken in the ear, in the inner room, you're telling a secret, you're thinking no one's going to hear behind closed doors, it will be proclaimed on the housetops. You can't get away with sin. You can't just treat people however you want. And notice what Abraham does here, because you see, He's still behaving in fear in verse 11. And Abraham said, because I thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place. Look at Abraham, trying to blame them. (laughs) When we fail, notice what oftentimes we do. When we fail, we're being deceptive, we're being crafty, even amongst our own family. Notice what happens. And we are caught. You know what the first thing a, a, a man that is walking in deception does? He tries to blame other people. Oh, it wasn't my fault. It was their fault. And notice what he says here. He's lying to himself. He's making excuses. 
You have to be careful that, that if, if you are caught in a lie, that you don't make excuses about it. If you're caught in sin, that, that you repent. Because he blames them, and he uses this word. He says, I thought. That's the reason why a lot of people get in trouble, because they use the word I and then thought. Instead of I prayed. You know what I thought means? I assumed. Well, I guessed. Christians should not be those that make assumptions or that they operate on guessing. We should be those that say, I prayed. And this is what God said to do. Because he's saying, I thought this was a godless place. And when you're assuming, notice what happens. You begin to make the wrong decisions. Well, I thought, I assumed, this is not a spiritual place. So I, I was scared for my life, and I had to do what was best for me. Sometimes we would even say, well, you know what? They're not spiritual people. Oh, they're so carnal. Well, we can do whatever we want. We can treat them however we like. Oh, this is who we are. This is Abraham and Sarah. I'm the patriarch here. Do you know who I am? I can do whatever I want. I can break the rules. No, you can't. Because that's why there's integrity here. And here he's saying, I thought this was a godless place, that they're going to kill me and take my wife, so I did what I had to do. And then notice in verse 12, but indeed, she truly is my sister. <laughs> oh, come on, Abraham. Tell the truth. And notice what it says here. She's the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, so she's my half-sister. <laughs> Have you ever said that? Well, you know what? That was half-true. You know what a half-truth is? It's still a lie. Stop trying to justify yourself that you did what was right. It was wrong. Don't pretend that what you did was right. It was wrong. And when we realize it was wrong, you know what we have to do? We have to stop trying to justify ourselves. Don't try to justify yourself. She's your wife, and you intended to hide that part. You intended to hide that. You were misleading. Be careful that when you tell the truth, you're not misleading. This is exactly what Abraham is saying. Instead of asking for forgiveness, he tries to justify himself. And notice what he says here in verse 13. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house, when God called me out, that I said to her, this is your kindness, that you should do for me in every place, wherever we go, say of me, he's my brother. When God called me out, I put together a plan and I said, tell everyone I'm your brother. I want you to know this. If God called you out, he'll protect and he'll provide for you. If it is God, the one that did this, if it is God, the one that caused you to wander or to journey or to take a step of faith, you don't have to lie about anything to arrive at the promises of God. You don't have to be deceptive. You don't have to do things underhanded. You don't have to be misleading. You don't have to be crafty. If it's of God, if it's pure, then God's going to provide for it. He's going to protect it. He's going to see to it that it's done his way. Here, the, the problem was that he stopped trusting God. And notice what he did. He didn't care about who he hurt along the way. That's the sad thing, that when you stop trusting God, you don't care about who you hurt along the way. Because you know what it's about? It's all about me, myself, and I. It's all about me getting mine, what I want, 
at the expense of other people. That's a weak character there. That at the expense of other people, you're going to do what you want to get what you want? Notice Abimelech's generosity in verse 14. And Abimelech, you know what he does? The ungodly man? He took sheep, oxen, male, female servants, and gave them to Abraham. And notice what he also said. And he restored Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, see, my land is before you dwelt where it pleases you. He gave him oxen. He gave him sheep. He gave him servants. He restored his wife. He even gave him land. This is the kind of man he was. You know what he's saying? In fact, as you look at verse 14 and 15, this is Abimelech, an ungodly man. You know what he's saying to Abraham? Let me show you how a believer should act. It's convicting. When the world has to show you what integrity is, when the world has to show you what generosity is, because the church can't do it, this should be a place that's filled with with pure hearts and clean hands. Because if you don't have a, a pure heart and clean hands, notice, you don't have the right testimony. And if you don't have the right testimony, you know what happens? People can't trust you. They can't trust what you say. Because they don't know if you're doing this for yourself or you're doing this because God told you to do it. You know what Abimelech did? He repaid evil with good. That's pure integrity. That's blamelessness. He repaid evil with good. Romans 12, 21, what does it say? Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Well, you don't understand what they've done to me. Repay them with good. They were unfair. They were unjust. They acted underhanded. No. They did things behind the scenes. They were misleading. They were crafty in the way they did that. Notice, repay them with good. And keep your heart pure and keep your hands clean. They may compromise, but you keep your heart pure and you keep your hands clean. And you know what the Lord does here? He shows mercy and he protects you. If you keep your hands clean, he will protect you. He will provide for you. He will go before you. And notice what he's doing here in verse 15 and 16. He's making things right. I want you to remember that tonight. If there, if there is a problem between you and somebody else, make things right. If there's division between you and someone else, make things right. Because he does this. And in, in verse 16, then to Sarah, he said, Abimelech said to Sarah, behold, I have given your brother. <laughs> you, you almost see the sarcasm in Abimelech. <laughs> hey, Sarah, come over here. Remember your brother? Well, here's the oxen for your brother. And he, he starts to give these gifts, and he does it in the presence of the people. And notice what he says, a thousand pieces of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everybody. Thus she was rebuked. Now, but you know what he does here? I love this. He says, before all who are with you, and before everybody. This is how we should behave. We should be able to do things before people in the light. You don't have to hide anything. You don't have to be deceptive about anything. I'm giving this, I'm giving this gift in front of everyone so everyone can see it. I'm not trying to hide this. I'm going to do it in the witnesses before people, and this compensates any wrong that I have done. 
this settles the claim against me. I love the New Living Translation. It would use it this way. This settles the claim against me. Your reputation is cleared, Sarah. This vindicates me. I'm cleared of this. That's what it means to be rebuked or justified. We're cleared on this account. I'm going to give you what a, what, a gift. I'm going to compensate for this that has been wrong, and I'm going to settle the claim. Now, you know why I love this here? Because it has everything to do with your integrity and your testimony, that you would make things right. But you know what Abimelech does? As soon as he learns this, he keeps short account with people. And, and I pray that you would keep short accounts with people. Keep short accounts with God. If, if you know there's something wrong, go and ask him for forgiveness. Go repent, confess, and he is so faithful to forgive you. And if you've wronged your brother and sister, keep short accounts with them. Restore. Notice what the Lord told Abimelech. Restore to them what you have taken from them. That they would be no skeletons in the closets. Have you heard that? Oh, there's a skeleton. We don't want to open that because the past, the history there. A Christian should not be afraid of that. You should be able to say, examine my life in public or in private. I have settled the accounts. I have made things right. No matter who you are, you can be a spiritual person. You can be a prophet here. You can be Abraham or Sarah. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 23, what does Jesus say? Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and you remember on their way there that your brother has something against you, you're serving the Lord. You remember, oh, I remember that person has something against you. We, we have some. There's a beef there. You know what it says? Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. Don't even offer it. Put that aside. It's not going to mean anything. First be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gift. You know what Abimelech does? He does the right thing. He restores and he offers gifts. I want to make things right because this is wrong. And he doesn't feel comfortable with it. We should have a conviction as Christians that if there's something wrong, we want to make it right. We don't want to let things linger. So verse 17 and 18, so Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech. His wife, his female servants, then they bore children. Notice what happens here. He prayed to God, and God healed him and his household. He prayed, Abraham prayed, and God healed Abimelech's household. I want you to circle two words there in that verse. Verse 17, prayed, and then the second verse is healed. Look at all the pain. Look at all the hurt that even a godly man can do to an innocent family. I want you to pay attention to that verse. Think of all the pain. Think of all the hurt that even a godly man can do to an innocent family. Because it says then they could have children. He prayed for him, and then God healed them. Verse 18, for the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. All the women there became infertile because Sarah was taken into that home. And Abraham, as a man of God, as a prophet, instead of being a source of blessing, this great man of God, of faith, instead of being a source of blessing, you know what he was? He was the cause of judgment. To where this 
family, this household was being hurt. You know what we should do here, this verse 17? We need to pray for all the people that have been hurt by the church, maybe by even yourself, that you would know, maybe there's a family member that I hurt that's a non-believer, a co-worker that I hurt that doesn't know Jesus Christ, that they would be healing, that they would be healing, that we would not be the cause for hurt, that we would not be the cause for division. Then there would be healing that would take place from families that have been hurt because people, Christians, men, women, failed to do the right thing, operating in the flesh. So what do we learn here? Pray for them for healing. You know what's sad here is that Abraham's sin was repeated in Isaac's life later. Abraham's sin was repeated in Isaac's life later. When Isaac was born, Genesis chapter 26, Isaac is with his wife, and you know what Isaac says then? He looks over at his wife, Rebecca, and you know what he says? Tell them you're my sister. It's sad. It's sad when our sins affect not only outsiders, but it's sad even more so when they're duplicated in our own families because we weren't a good example. You know what happens here, even in chapter 21, as we go into it next week, is that Abraham and Sarah had a new beginning, and so can you. God was still faithful, and and in Genesis chapter 21, the son of promise is born. And you think to yourself, but how? But Lord, that's not fair. Even after this, God still blesses them. You know why? Because of the grace of God. You would think, that doesn't make any sense. That's not fair, God. Well, I'll tell you this. Leave it in God's hands. Let him heal you and move on knowing this, that we know that all things are working together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. What do you see between chapter 20 and 21 of Genesis? That even when we're faithless, he still is faithful. He can't deny himself. Even when we're faithless, like Abraham and Sarah were in chapter 20, God is faithful in chapter 21 because he can't deny himself. Let's pray.